0: Well, good morning, everyone. Get your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. We're going to be there in just a moment. Last week, we started up a series called Uncommon Joy. Now, uncommon joy is joy that's found in all the wrong places. It's the joy that has you laughing and crying and and dancing and singing in all the wrong places where there should be no hope, no joy at all. You can actually find joy. And one of the things that I loved about last week was we spoke about how Paul, even though he was in prison, he was able to find joy in those circumstances. You know, I was uh, going with my clergy group, we were talking about this scripture, and I said, you know, Paul kind of reminds me a little bit about, a little bit like Spongebob Squarepants. Uh, have you ever seen Spongebob? He, he's got this joy it's, it's a little bit like naive, but this joy that's always with him, it's like he can find happiness and joy in, in, in the most weird circumstances ever. That's SpongeBob, right? And we see that with Paul. He's in prison. His feet are tied to another person. And he's finding joy in that circumstance. How many of us could say that we could find joy in that kind of circumstance? When his feet are in the stockade with Silas in Acts chapter 16, he's there and he's singing and he's praising. Who can find joy in that? Really? You know, today we're going to be talking about how it is that Paul can find that kind of joy. And the main idea, the bottom line up front, is that when we are prepared to die, we're really prepared to live. When we're prepared to die, we are prepared to live. All right, so a few weeks ago, uh, we went on a family vacation. I spoke about that last week. I'm getting all this material from this family vacation. I need to go on more vacations, I think. Um, Anyway, we went to Texas Roadhouse because uh, we like Texas Roadhouse. It's a good place to eat. And as we were there, I'm kind of indecisive uh, when it comes to food. And I was looking over the menu, and I'm like, you know what? I really like steak, I really like steak, but here's the thing, steak's a good option, but if you want a lot of steak, it's kind of an expensive option, and, and my wife had cleared it, she's like, you know, we got money in the budget, you're okay, if you want to do a bigger meal right now, you're going to be fine, and I was also looking at the cheeseburgers, cheeseburgers, I, you know, I like cheeseburgers, I, I like uh, Texas Roadhouse cheeseburgers as well, they're good, and they're cheaper. And so I'm, I'm here, and I've got these two impossibly good situations. I can get a steak. My wife's cleared it. I'm good to go with steak. Or I could get a cheeseburger, and it's still going to be really good, and I'm going to get just as full, and it's going to be a little bit cheaper. So it's a win-win for me. I can't go wrong here. So I went with the cheeseburger because I'm cheap, right? And later on, I I paid for it because my wife and I, we we like to eat healthy, and we've noticed that anytime we don't eat healthy, and when we eat fried foods and things like that, you just get sick. Oh, man, I was sick that that night. Um, Anyway, in life, we don't get many win-win times. You know, there there aren't many times in life where we see a win-win. In our marriage, I want to give you an example of a win-win in marriage. Um, Women, all right? Women, when you enter into marriage, you find somebody that you can share your deepest, darkest secrets with. And, and you, you don't even have to worry about them going and spreading these secrets to anyone else. They are safe with this person because, to be honest, the men weren't listening in the first place. Right? That's a win-win. Right? You're sharing your deepest, darkest secrets. You're getting those off your chest. And half the time, the guy isn't even listening. That's a joke, okay? Sorry. I, I know many of us as men, we listen to our wives when they talk, all right? That's a joke. But in all seriousness, here's another win win situation the Cubs getting to the playoffs. Okay, now think about this. The Cubs are always happy when they get to the playoffs. Cubs fans, we love getting to the playoffs. And you know who else is happy? The team that we're playing against. Why? Because everyone knows that the Cubs stand for completely useless by September. That's because we blow in the playoffs all the time, so we're happy because we got there, and the other team's happy because they're playing against us, right? I'm, I'm a Cubs fan. I, I know what's up. I know that's what happens. You know, sometimes a win-win is a matter of perspe- perspective, and here is Paul and he is in prison, and he is chained to this Roman imperial guard six hours a day. um, Four times a day, there's going to be a new guard coming in, and it's a win-win. Paul is getting to do what he loves. He gets to preach, and he gets to preach to somebody new every six hours. In addition to this, he's able to write this letter to the Philippians. But something else is going on in Paul's mind, and we're going to get to that today when we look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. He's got some tension going on. He, he wants to go to heaven. He wants to be with Jesus. But at the same time, he knows that it's probably not going to happen right now. So listen to what it says, starting on verse um, 19. I'm going to start just a little bit before it says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed and will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I whether by life or death, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm going on living in this body, this means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. All right, so back in 2000, uh, we had a presidential election that was going on, and at our high school, we had one of the presidential candidates come. And this was um, presidential candidate Al Gore. Some of you remember this, right? Now, I was excited. I'm like, yes, we get off from classes and I get to go meet possibly the the future president of the United States. I was excited. There was this expectation there. And I remember going and, and putting my hand out and shaking his hand as he walked by. How cool was that? You have hope, you have expectation you get excited. It changes your attitude, right? And, and Paul, he has the same thing, only it's much, much bigger when it comes to death. See, Paul is excited. He has hope. He has this expectation. I'm going to go and I'm going to be with Jesus. My body's going to be resurrected. He is assured of this. At the same time, he is living in such a way where he is not going to be ashamed when he goes to meet Jesus. Because he is doing nothing that would put him to shame. He is being courageous. I mean, he wanted to live in such a way that when he met his maker, he was going to be able to stand before him with no shame whatsoever. Here's what he did. He, he took beatings and he never recanted of his faith. He, he went to trial and he spoke boldly for his faith. He endured hardships Time after time, even in the face of death, you know, the only thing that he had to be ashamed of was the way that he used to treat Christians, but he made up for that with his life. See, Paul is so focused on eternity that everything else is kind of pushed out to the side. He is laying up his treasures in heaven. Now, I want to contrast to where we're at in the United States, I want to contrast to where we're at in the United States. Uh, in a recent NPR news report, I, I read this. Oh, I actually heard this. Direct words from a 30-something-year-old. And he said these words. He said, you know, I live in an urban area. Most people I know are not Christian. He's like, all my friends, they're not Christian. They, they don't go to church. And what I what I see so often is that more and more Americans, we're starting to be part of that nun group where we have no religious affiliation, no faith whatsoever. There's nothing guiding our life. The only thing that we hope for is the here and now. We hope for power and prestige and and money and wealth and fame and, and all these other things, but we have nothing eternal in our life, no eternal perspective. Now, put that in contrast to the Apostle Paul. Paul says this, he says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then starting in verse 22, If I am to go on living in the body, this means fruitful labor to me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. See, Paul's really wrestling with this. He's like, you know, if I keep living, I get to do more of God's work, which is great. But if I die, I get to go actually be with God. Be with Jesus. I get this resurrected body, this hope and eternity with Him forever, and everything's going to be perfected. I mean, this is an eternal perspective versus an earthly perspective. You know, Paul's lifting up eternity. He's like, I can be with God forever and ever. See, for Paul, dying is not the bad thing, staying here is the bad thing. Think about that. That's weird. For Paul, he wants to die. He doesn't want to kill himself. He wants to die so he can be with Jesus, so his hope becomes a reality. But you know, in the in the present, Paul is pouring out his heart to all those around him. He, he's teaching and preaching about this because he wants to take as many people to heaven with him as possible. You know, our our kids and I. Um, we got this tent uh, earlier this, this last spring, um, and we had this idea that we were going to take it outside and we were going to go camping, just out in the backyard some night. So the first day that we get it, we, we take it and we set it up in the backyard. And it's cool. It's a, it's a big thing. We got, we got blankets in there, we got pillows, and, and then nighttime comes and my kids are like, no, it's, it's too hot out. We can't do it i like, okay, we'll wait for a cooler night. So a cooler night comes by. No, we're just not feeling it tonight. Okay, we'll, we'll do it another night. A- and it continued to happen where night after night, we're like, no, 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 we can't do it. We can't do it. Finally, we took the tent, folded it all up, packed it away, and it's sitting in the garage, right? I think a tent is actually a pretty good metaphor for what Paul is, is going through. See, Paul, in some ways, sees life as a tent. He's a tent maker. That's, that's what he does. He makes tents. Paul, That was his main occupation. And what Paul is getting at here is this, that his life here on earth is sort of like a tent. It's not always comfortable. It's, it's not always ideal. You know, some nights are hot, some nights are cold. The ground is rough sometimes. Sometimes you get perfect weather, Right? But eventually, that tent has to be pulled up out of the ground. Eventually, that tent wears out. Now, for Paul, his belief is this, that when the tent is finally pulled up, the tent which is his life, God's going to give him a permanent home with him in eternity. I want to pose this question to you. How many of us are so dedicated So assured, so full of hope that if we were given the choice to be in God's presence right now, we would take it. If God said, You know what, Tim, I really like you. Here's here's my deal for you. If you want, I'll take you right now. You can come on up, you can be with me for eternity. Take you right now. How many of us would say, Okay, God here I am. See, Paul was ready. I don't know if I could say I'm, I'm ready. You know, I've got things to live for. I've got kids. I've got a wife. I've got a job. I'm kind of connected, and, and that's probably wrong because I still feel like I have a purpose here in life. But Paul, he's thinking much more broadly. He's thinking about eternity, here's a powerful thing. Um, In life, we have something called a future story. Everybody has a future story in their life. You know, this is why we ask our kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or we ask people when they're getting close to retirement, what's your plan for retirement? We we ask a, a young couple who just got married, how many kids do you want? This is our future story. And what we do is we have this future story in our mind and we put our hope in it and we work toward it. And oftentimes, we can get through a lot of hardships if we have that future story in mind and we keep working toward it. Now, Paul's future story is eternity with God. And that's our future story as well if we're believers. See, the the main idea, the bottom line up front for this whole sermon is this. When we are ready to die— We are ready to live. Because death puts everything else in perspective. Verse 23, it says, I am torn between the two, living and dying. Uh, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith." And So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. So let me outline the win-win situation for you. Paul goes to trial, and he's found guilty, and he's executed. He gets to be with God forever. Win, right? If Paul goes to trial, and then he's freed, he gets to go preach and teach. He gets to go uh, help other people find their faith, build up more churches. And that's a win, too. But ultimately, what he wants is he wants to be with God. So I want to give you the, the the lowdown on, I don't know if I've ever used that word in a sermon. Let me give you the lowdown. Uh, this, what's going to happen with Paul, all right? So fast forward. Paul is going to be released from this prison. He's only there for about two years or so. Okay? Um, he goes forward and he continues to preach and teach and so on and so forth. And what happens is, is ultimately he's going to be imprisoned again, and he's going to face um, trial from the highest tiers of Roman society, and he's going to go on to his death. But here's the thing, if Paul would have just died right here, if, if he would have just been executed, if he would have gotten what he wanted, the world would probably be a different place because Paul had a powerful impact on the church in that time that he had between getting freed from prison here and the time when he's imprisoned again. Those couple of years made a difference in hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people's lives. Think of the exponential force that Paul had you know, think about how if he would have just converted maybe 100 or 200 people during those that time period, how many people do you think change their life and then change the course of other people's lives throughout human history. It's kind of amazing when you think about it. So as as we kind of wrap up this sermon, I want to give you one question and two lessons. One question and two lessons. My question for you is this, in a world of good options, how do we discern the best? In a world where there are steak, there's steak and cheeseburger on the menu, and each one is good, how do we discern what is really best? You know, there's a lot of good things that we can do in life, right? If you are part of a community, if you are taking breath into your lungs, there's a lot of good options for you. You can help out with the Rotary Club. You can be an optimist. You can go to church. You can serve uh, on missions. You can uh, volunteer your time with the school. Uh, You can focus on your, your work. You can give money to people in Honduras. You can do all these good things, but what truly is the best? What does God really want for your life? I want you to think about this question. Have you ever felt as if you're not quite sure what God wants for you. I think a lot of people are there. I think a lot of people are like, you know what, God, if you just told me what you want me to do in my life, I'll do it. But what if God's already told you what God wants in your life, and you're like, no, I don't think that's what you want for me, God. Let me just keep on this path that I'm going, and then, then reveal something to me. I really think that most of us know what God wants for our lives. We're just too afraid to take those steps. We're, we're just like, you know what? God, that doesn't really fit my game plan for life. I want to tell you a story about St. Francis of Assisi. Um, he, was, uh, he lived in about the 12th century. He came from a very wealthy family. And uh, when he was younger, he liked to party, he liked to drink, uh, did all that kind of stuff, right? So he's this wealthy, elitist kind of person. And then he gets captured, and while he's captured, he has this vision from God. He's released from being uh, kidnapped, basically. And the vision from God told him this uh, I want you to rebuild my church. I want you to rebuild my church. Now, think about this. Francis, St. Francis, has a lot of wealth. I mean, he could have made large donations to the church. He could have done some capital campaigns. He, he could have rebuilt the church, right? It would have been amazing. He has this, the means, the wealth to do it. But no, that's not what God wanted. That was a good option, but it's not the best option. You know what St. Francis did? He took a vow of poverty He took a vow of of humility. He changed his life, and what he did was he he worked to change the church as well. And he rebuilt the church, not physically, but he rebuilt it spiritually. The the Catholic church is profoundly uh, shaped and changed by the work of St. Francis of Assisi. Even us today, we are still impacted by his work. See, in a world of good options, how do we choose the best? Well, look at Paul. What did Paul do? He, he prayed, and he listened, and then he faithfully submitted to the will of God. Paul wanted to go. He wanted to be with God. That's a good option. But God says, no, nope, not right now, Paul. You've got work to do. Here's what I want you to know. I think God has something that he wants each one of us to do. And I think so often we say, "Uh, no thanks, God. That doesn't really fit in with my plans." But when we finally say, "Yes, Lord. I will go. I will follow." God will take you to places that you could never have imagined. We just have to say yes. All right, so that's the question. All right, that's the question. In a world of good things, how do we discern the best? Pray, seek, listen, and obey, right? First lesson that we have from this is this. Make the call to the press box. Make the call to the press box, all right? I'm not really a sports person, but I like this analogy, I'll give you two analogies here, one sports and one not, all right? So when you're a coach on the field, what you do is you look across your field and you see all your players and you see them face-to-face, right? You see what is right in front of you. Now, oftentimes, they'll make a call to somebody who's sitting up in the press box, somebody who sees the game from a different vantage point. What they're doing is they're getting a bird's-eye view. They're saying, what do you see that I don't see, because oftentimes, that different perspective, that different vantage point will help them to be successful in the game. Likewise, here's my second example, right? When you're driving along and Google Maps is on because you're driving somewhere you've never been or, or you're like me, you've drove there that, to that place a hundred times that you still can't remember the directions because my brain doesn't work like that. All right, you're, you're driving to this place and it says, accident ahead, please take this detour. You know, I have made the mistake. I'm like, Google, you have no idea what you're talking about. I keep driving the way I'm supposed to be driving, and guess what? There's an accident ahead. And I'm sitting here uh, for 20, 30 minutes as they're cleaning up the mess, and I'm going about three miles an hour thinking, why didn't I take the detour? See, we need the big picture, don't we? The challenge is... The problem is that we think we have the big picture. We have our own ideas of what we want life to look like. And we don't like when our plans are derailed. We don't like it. We, we have this idea, this is the path I'm taking. And I'm not going to get off this path. I'm going to keep going. But here's the thing. When that happens, when we get our plans derailed, we're like, oh my gosh, the world is ending. How can I ever go on? The problem is not our circumstance, the problem is our perspective on our circumstances. It's our vantage point. See, joy is found when we can step off the field or when we can make the call to the press box and say, hey, I'm not seeing a way forward here, but I need your perspective on this. Joy is when we have Google Maps come up and we say, all right, detour ahead, Um, well, accident ahead, take the detour, and we say, okay, yeah, it's gonna be a little bit longer to go around, but you know what's gonna be even longer? Sitting in this mess. You know, how often is it that we get stuck in life And we can't see a way forward because we're stuck in our own patterns uh, of what we've always used to do. When when we can't see the future because we're so focused on the future, when when life changes on us and we're not able to pivot and and be adaptable and flexible, sometimes we have to make the call to the press box. And you know who's in the press, press box? It's God. So when life happens, and life will happen, we need to be talking to God, saying, hey, God, um, here's, here's the thing. I had this plan. I, I was going to get this job, and then I was going to move to this city, you know, and, and I was going to have this house, and, and then I was going to retire at age 55, and I was going to spend my life in the golf course after that. Um, that's my plan, God. But when God says, okay, so what I want you to do is this. Um, you're going to do this job, and you're not going to do that. You're going to do this. And you're probably not going to make enough money to retire at the age that you want. So you're going to keep working until you're 72. But you know what? You're going to be doing my will. And you're like, hmm, God, that doesn't sound like what I want. Let me, let me take you back to my plans. No, here's the thing. God has a, a better view of what is really good for us in life. And we don't see that very often. We need to be faithful. We need to submit to what God wants in our life. We need to be constantly communicating with God, saying, God, this isn't what I thought of. This isn't my plan. Help me to see what you want. All right? We need to make the call. Lesson number three is this, that when we are ready to die, we are truly ready to live. All right, so I I do funerals. That's one of my jobs as a pastor, and, and to be honest with you, I love funerals. Um, I love funerals because I think it's one of the times in our lives that we actually stop and we think about death. Now, death is a 100% chance, you know, for all of us. We're all going to die. We, we like to pretend we're not going to die, but that's going to happen. So when I do a funeral, there is this one line that I always read, and, and I, I read it because I love it. And it's part of a prayer, and it says this. I'm going to read it word for word. It says, Help us to live as those who are prepared to die. And when our days here are accomplished, enable us to go, enable us to die as those who go forth to live, so that living or dying our life may be in you, and that nothing in life or death will ever be able to separate us from the great love that is found in Jesus Christ. Man, isn't that, it's beautiful. See, when we are ready to die, when we have that hope and assurance that we're going to go be with Jesus, you know what? It it changes our outlook on life. And we can have joy in the midst of great despair, uh, joy in the midst of, of chaos. Why? Because we have this hope that transcends it. Hope that goes above the crap that's going on in our lives. Why? Because we are people who are going forth to live. So that living or dying, our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Now, wouldn't that be an amazing way to live? I mean, some of you are not really Christians. Some of you are, are maybe <clears throat> on the edge about faith and about Jesus and so on. And, and when, it, when it comes to death, you're frightened. Because you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Or when it comes to death, you're just like, well, I guess I'll see what happens. Here's the thing, you don't have to live like that. You can have faith, you can have hope, you can have assurance that when you die, you go forth to live. And that life that you will have will be perfect, it will be eternal, and you will be with friends and family who love Jesus Christ too. That is our future reality. That is the hope that Paul counted on. That is where he derived his sense of joy found in uncommon places. So what I want to do today is this. I want to give you an opportunity to experience that kind of life. So let's pray. Heavenly God, we just thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. And we know that he has offered us this hope of life beyond life. That when we die, we can be with him forever. And he has laid it out in a simple plan that all we must do is believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. That when he died on the cross, he died for our sins And that his blood washes away our sins. That his life was given for our life. He paid our debt of sin. He paid for our mistakes. And so, Lord Jesus, we put our faith in you. We trust in you. We we are sorry we have missed the mark. We have sinned in our life. And we ask that you will wash over us. That you will make us clean. So that when we die and we stand before God the great creator of this whole universe, you, Jesus, will stand in front of us and say, I've got him covered. He has been clean. He has been redeemed. Come and enter my kingdom. Be with me forever. Lord, that is the hope that we, we wait upon. That is what we are eagerly expecting. That is what helps us to get by in this chaotic, unpeaceful life that we live in, that one day we can be with you forever. Lord, we pray all these things in your powerful name, the name of Jesus Christ, amen.